2: I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel.
3: Welcome to the Mass Effect Lorecast, the podcast where we explore the vast universe of lore behind the Mass Effect games. We'll talk about all the details you may have missed, ask the hard questions, and more. Specters, welcome back. This is episode 55. I'm your host, Tom, or Robots, and I'm here... With N7 the Legend. Should I say the Legend or Legend?
4: I don't know. You know, I keep going I, back and forth. Yeah, my name originally was N7 Legend, and then you know, I switched it and then I switched it back and I lost I lost that domain, uh, having N7 Legend as my name. Yeah. But since then I've I've actually heard people tell me that they prefer N7 the Legend.
3: Let's just go with it. N7 the Legend here with me, as usual, talking more about Anderson. This is our second Anderson episode. And uh, welcome back to the show. So uh, we just came off of that episode, giving you a big old recap about how badass Anderson is and yet how humble, which makes him even more. That's like double badass. Galactic dad Anderson, double badass.
4: Yeah, it's easy to hate uh, a badass who's also arrogant. Not easy to hate a badass who's humble.
3: No. And that that is the best kind of badass, if you ask me. I think that like... It's even if you're doing something that's hard and then you're doing something that's even harder on top of that thing That's that's hard like being humble about the hard thing you just did then. That's I mean that's just like Like you just win every, you just win everything you just won the galaxy like congratulations
4: yeah. Anderson is the winner of the galaxy um, and Yeah, we, last time we were talking we were talking about how strong his impact was not just on the galaxy But more on a micro level on Shepard and so Uh, You know uh, part of that is because of all of the sacrifices that Anderson makes the largest and most obvious one being Anderson taking a step back and giving Shepard the Normandy. Yeah Um, I'm not sure if that was like, you know Copacetic with Alliance protocol. I don't know if that can just happen. You know uh, I'm not too versed in Navy ship inheritance But I'm not sure that the XO was always promoted to the captain of the ship
3: yeah, I, I don't know for sure either. It seems like it's a fairly common thing in like sci-fi, uh, space stuff. Like it seems fairly common, right? There. Like when right. I think about like uh, b- uh, battles, what is it? Battlefield, Battleship, Galactica, Battlestar. No, battle, Battlestar. I was mean, like Battle something, right? Battlestar Galactica. I
4: always mess up with that one too.
3: That happens in the Expanse. That's kind of a thing, um, like. Yeah. And and just a brief survey of the neurons in my brain that are firing away about recollection of other series seems pretty common, but maybe, maybe there's counterpoints out there.
4: Um, I think it also helps facilitate the father child dynamic, right? The hand me down thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's so strong. That's so strong with Anderson and Shepard. Um, because, uh, we get the sense that that anderson is already a mentor from the very from the very get go but then i think if you remember the the first mission in eden prime when you're about to drop onto the planet and anderson has that kind of like go get him champ type of speech <laughs> right <laughs> it does feel a lot more like anderson is taking one step further than just being the the captain of the ship like he has a vested interest interest in, in Shepard's future. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that makes sense too, when you realize that Anderson had basically pushed for Shepard to become a specter because for Anderson, it's not like Udina. It's not, it's not a political box to check. I think Anderson really believes that Shepard should be a specter, uh, because of the good that again, because of the good that, um, shepard could do for the galaxy and you know back in november we had a pretty special guest comment on this we had a pretty amazing guest uh, on the show and although it wasn't live although it was pre-recorded it was for in seven day so while you may have already heard it if you listened to that special episode uh, we're going to listen to it again because it is particularly relevant here We just got to milk
3: this as much as we can. Oh, we do. That's what we got to do. All right, here we go. Let's play the clip.
2: Hey, Mass Effect Lorecast, this is Mark Meir. Thank you for having me. Your question was about the relationship between Shepard and Anderson, and obviously this is a very special relationship that goes beyond the relationship between a commanding officer and a subordinate, maybe even beyond the relationship between a mentor and a mentee. It's a very familial, very parental relationship, and this really hits home in Anderson's final scenes. Anderson's death scene is probably one of my favorite scenes in the entire trilogy. Jennifer Hale and I have both talked about how emotional it was. And the fact that we both had Keith David's performance in our headsets as we were recording really helps that. Because, let's face it, Keith David is not only one of the great voice actors of all time, one of the great actors of all time, but one of the great human voices, in existence and so getting to play that scene with him was something really special
3: so that's the first half of the clip we're, we're saving the second yeah. half for later yeah
4: so of course that was mark mirror and that is the voice of solomon gun aka commander shepherd aka uh blasto uh <laughs> the list goes on uh, mark mirror provides a lot of voices for mass effect the not the least of which is male commander shepherd so you know, a couple of points to note for, uh, what Mir had just said there. He distinguishes between the typical mentor and mentee relationships. Have you ever had a mentor like this, like Anderson?
3: Yeah. You know, I, I, I can think about several times during my life. Um, I, when I think about The strides that I've made in my professional career and in my personal life There are definitely individuals that have taken me under their wing at some point and I I think I Mean, I'm no I'm no freaking commander (laughs) Shepard. I'm not saving the galaxy or anything Uh, but there were people who um, in my teenage years and in my early professional career saw potential in me and Helped bring me to the next stages where they, they took they took risks, you know, whether that was um, Somebody like a youth minister when I was in high school who was like, you know what you've only been playing guitar for six months, but You absolutely belong in this band with a bunch of other professional musicians Like I didn't know what I was doing, but he was like no you absolutely could do this Get up on stage with us and I'm like uh Okay you know, or if it was um, one or two professional uh, individuals who were, you know, a, a decade or two further along than I was in my professional career, who took a chance on hiring me when I only had a little bit of experience in something, but they saw something in me and were like, no, you absolutely can do this. We know you're the kind of person. And, and usually it, it, you describe it in the similar way here. It's like it's like Anderson knew that Shepard was the right personality for the job because when you take somebody under your wing they obviously don't have the experience yet because they're too young to have the experience so any good mentor is not looking for a level of experience they're looking for the right personality they're looking for the right mentality the right character because they know that if they put somebody with the right character in the role, that experience will come. It's the character and it's the personality that's really going to take you to those places. So I, I think that you know, in my own experience, that I, I think that was the thing that put my, like I happened to be in the right spot, and I happened to be the kind of person that those people were looking for, and it paid off in the long run. You know, what yeah, about you? And did you have you? Do you feel like you've ever been in that
4: kind you of know, position? For me, I, I, I don't know if I have a story that's uh, relatable for a lot of people, but it, it is my story regardless. Um, I was not the most teachable spirit, you know? Uh, <laughs> okay. I, you know, growing up, I think I was probably a pain in the ass to deal with. And um, when I was in college even, I, I look back on those times and I kind of, I think about the professors who who were kind to me, the professors who kind of cut me some slack uh, left and right, and I think about them as, as saints, uh, because it, I could not have made it easy I, I had my head so far at my my cloaca that I was seeing brown uh, <laughs> oh okay so <laughs> <and> <laughs> yeah so, so yeah, um, I, I don't think I, I didn't have anyone like Anderson back then. Um, I think it could have made a lot of a difference. I had other teachers who were certainly uh, patient and taught me a lot, but I'm also getting to the point in my life where you know I'm 27 years old, so I'm just a year shy of Anderson's age when Anderson was uh, you know on the Hastings, and I think I'm getting to the age where I'm looking for that mentor. Mm-hmm. Uh, And and I think I will find that mentor eventually because there are tons of, you know, I'm a journalist in my day job and uh, there are tons of journalists that I really look up to. uh, And I'd love to be able to pick pick their brain about, you know, uh, journalism and the news and and how to be a more thorough uh, journalist and whatnot. And um, yeah, I guess you could say I'm still looking for uh, my Anderson mentor.
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I think, and I think Attitude is so much of it. Um, one of the things that I, I remember describing to people and when I was your age, when, when I was 27, I went through a major change in my, in my career. I quit the rock band I was in. I went through a divorce. I went through a lot of life changes and I started a brand new career in a different direction. And, um, I got into designing packaging and I had no background in it at all. And I was hired by a guy who was the same age as me, who had a few years in designing packaging. And he hired me on the spot because he was like, you seem like a smart guy. I think I could train you how to do this. And it was part-time. And then I started that Monday. I interviewed on a Friday and he's like, can you start on Monday? And I was doing a bunch of part-time jobs because I was touring the band. And I started on Monday and then that just blossomed into all these other things that just went from there, like one place to another. But it was, it was that role became so many other things because I was, I kept staying aware of who else I was running into. And when I would meet somebody who was bright and smart enough to realize the potential that I knew I had in myself, and then I would make a point to, not like like latch onto them like a, like a disease or something, but to, um, but to, but to engage with them and to, and to show them my potential to, to genuinely, you know, show them my, my willingness to work hard, my willingness to be open to critique my, like to show them my metal in the same way that somebody like shepherd would, you know? Um, and I I don't want to get too much into like the personal stories on this, but I, I think that that's the key to being the mentee in a mentor mentee situation is is not being the, the kid with your head up your ass because nobody wants to have to take you under their wing if they have to pull their, your head out of your ass. You know, um, instead, if you are the the person who looks like you are ready to be taught and you look like you're extremely capable, then you you just need to be ready when the right mentor happens to be. In the mood to take somebody under their wing because that's just as appealing to the mentor as it is to
4: the mentee oh uh definitely and i think trauma can have a, a maturing effect on people and you know um whatever you pick as your shepherd's background chances are that shepherd went through a decent level of trauma at a very early age Oh, yeah. so shepherd would have matured faster than most people probably would have and then lowered their own, uh, ego enough to be teachable. And so, and I identify with that on a personal level too. I, I've dealt with a significant amount of trauma, uh, which mm-hmm. before that trauma happened, that's what I was talking about. That's, oh, yeah, you know, that, Oh yeah, that's what I was talking about. And afterward, I'm a completely different person.
3: Oh yeah. And, I absolutely agree. I was I like, yeah, there, there is a, there is a, uh, uh cocksure, <laughs> cockier, um, yeah, it feel like I can just take on the world version of me. And there is the uh, uh, defeated rundown version of me and then there's the I've you know uh, got up off the ground and I I remember what the original version of me felt like, but I also know what the healthy version of that feels like without being egotistical about it. You know like the healthy like i can i know i can do it but i don't need to tear other people down to do it version
4: of me you know. yeah i wonder what the cocksure version of shepherd would be uh Uh, i don't think we'd like it maybe that's if you're pure renegade shepherd that's the pure renegade yeah that's
3: the that's that's what you get is the guy who's just a total jerk ass who's just like tearing (laughs) everybody down in order to get what he wants done absolutely yeah
4: yeah well uh you know they uh i think we could probably talk for a long time we should have a personal growth podcast um, <laughs>
3: personal lessons from mass effect
4: <laughs> yeah what we can learn about life life
3: from lessons. mass effect life lessons and the mass effect galaxy <laughs> life lessons with
4: Shepard. um You know, another point that uh, Mark Muir had brought up was we both had Keith David's performance in our headsets. And I found this was pretty interesting because um, although a lot of people who might be really in tune with the voice acting industry or the video game industry, they might already know this. But I did not. You know, that voice actors do not sit together. It's not like actors in any other format. You know, they are often going to studios and recording lines asymmetrically um yes. so i think to it, it's standard for the industry but it is amazing that they are able to produce such amazing quality when they're not even in the same room together
3: yeah it's it's almost the equivalent of like uh actual um like body acting in front of green screens where you kind of have to pretend the other for the other things there when it's not um which means that uh Um, Anderson uh, Keith David was reading his lines to somebody reading Shepard's lines who wasn't one of them it was a director or it was a other cast member who was just reading the lines to him without being a actor actor which is probably even more difficult I mean they're probably giving it their best shot
4: but like, right. So the creative harder. thing it doesn't just have to kick in when you're outputting. It has to kick in when you're receiving the lines too. Right. Right. So you have to yep. kind of be imagining like okay, what would the actual
3: shepherd actor be delivering this as if you're not actually getting that on the other side of your your that's why. So that's why he mentions it is that like we we were beneficial to have Keith David's version of the line reading already in our headphones so they kind of had a leg up in being able to respond to him so they had yeah. the advantage side they had the advantageous side of that
4: which makes sense if you want your lead you know commander Shepard to have the advantageous side um, but maybe maybe they went back and forth because they probably didn't record all the lines at once um, uh, it depends on the booking schedule so oh, you think so hmm
3: yeah so if if someone like Keith David is signed up and they're like okay you have you know 1200 lines for mass effect 3 and how long you know and they, he signs a contract and they're like okay 1200 lines you've got we've got you booked for two two whole days they're gonna get through those lines and that's it because holy crap they, they'll fly him out to the studio he'll sit down they'll do day one of the lines then they'll do t- day beginning of day two they'll probably wrap it up and then they might have the second half of day two to do any Patch back in for any lines that they want to rework, and then they're done. They fly him back out. That's it, because his time is money. Like that's that's it. Then they're done. And if they need to re-record any lines later, they gotta fly him back out and do it again. Um, in a post-COVID world, if Keith David has a local studio or a studio at his home, he might be able to dial in some lines, and they'll do it over like Zoom call. And he'll he, they can like have a director on the other side of the zoom call and they can feed him his lines over, you know, the computer and he'll record his lines that way. And then they'll basically send a gigantic wave file, like a massive wave file <laughs> with all of the line readings back over the Internet. Like that, that's something they can do today. But it, well, I mean, we're going back
4: oh, yeah. over a decade,
3: like 15 years ago. No, they were yeah. flying him out to a studio to do this.
4: I would wonder how many, like, wouldn't it be awesome to know if Anderson had any lines that were pre-recorded in 2007, but used in 2012 for Mass Effect 2? Maybe. Or, or, yeah. or I'm sorry, Mass Effect 3 uh, in 2012? Um, maybe. So, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I feel like maybe they didn't have that much of the writing done at that point but probably not
3: yeah you would have had to like tear through the entire list of dialogue to go like oh this this line would have worked here so we'll just move it that's more work than just writing something again and just having like adding a few extra lines for him to record while they already have him you know in the budget
4: yeah Keith David definitely uh, one of the best voices in in the industry and probably one of the best voices I've ever heard Uh, also voiced other video game characters like the Arbiter And Halo Mm -hmm. and uh, Julius Little and Saints Row.
3: Julius Little and Saints Row. Man, the Saints Row games are ridiculous. That's awesome. That's so cool. Well, um, these episodes, the second episodes every week are going to be a little bit shorter, but we're going to take a mid break here and we have a planet card again. So we're going to talk about the planet card in the mid break. So don't go anywhere. And we'll be back to talk about more Anderson in just a minute. I am so excited about our sponsor this week, Marvel Strike Force. I freaking love...
4: Message coming in. Patching it through. I am sovereign, and this station
0: is mine. I like the sound of that.
3: All right, so how does a planet card work into this episode?
4: Oh, well, I can't wait to tell you. Uh, (laughs) So this planet is named Kamala. Kamala. Uh, Not Kamala. Kamala. That is the the vice president. Ah. Okay. (laughs) This... This one is Kamala uh, and it is spelled C-A-M-A-L-A. Realized I should be spelling these for our listeners in case they wanna look them up themselves. So uh, Kamala is a relative, I just did it, Kamala. (laughs) (laughs) Not the vice president. Uh, Kamala is a relatively small but Ezo rich garden world recently colonized by the Batarians. In an unusually open gesture, the Batarians allowed immigration of free citizens and other species so long as they came from an independent colony planet such as those in the Traverse and Terminus and retained non-citizen status during their stay. These structures were small obstacles compared to the economic lure of Ezo, and soon the planet boasted spaceports and refineries that considerably enriched the hegemony. The planet enjoyed relative peace and prosperity, with the major lifestyle inconvenience being freshwater shortages due to a dry climate. The Reaper invasion has turned uh, Kamala's Kamala's not Kamala, uh, Kamala's <laughs> cities from affluent oases into a living nightmare. Alliance intelligence suggests that early in the Reaper invasion a high percentage of the planet's population was captured and converted to husk creatures for future offenses. Uh, offensives the processing camps still run night and day and the troop transports fly legions of cannibals out every hour for this reason alliance command has put kamala damn it (laughs) kamala (laughs) squarely in its sights for military strikes i got through it i don't have to say kamala again it's so funny because like every time i'm saying kamala it's because it's like... It's burned into I, your brain, yeah. Right, from my day job. Yeah. Um, and, of course, the significance of this site uh, uh, is because it is the planet where Datan Manufacturing is. And there's a facility where it all went down with Anderson and Saren right there, right there on that planet. Mm. Uh, and, and, th- and so this is, you know, this is the, the, the reason why Anderson never became a Spectre the reason why he had to give up the command of the Normandy, the reason why the original trilogy is Shepard's story and not Anderson's, Mm -hmm. it all started there. At Kamala. At Kamala, Kamala. not Kamala. The Alliance Command has not put Kamala in their sights for military (laughs) strikes.
3: Got it, got it, all right, awesome. Um, so being that this is the middle of the show you know I, sh- I should I promise to call out our Shepherd tier patrons which sometimes I forget on these second episodes but we've got to call out commander Shenko, Hul the fool mighty Talos Apollo and pipe man just give them a big shout out because they are our, our tier 5 patrons and thank you to all of our patrons and we also don't have any new reviews right now but if you'd like to help us out with a review on Apple podcasts and give us a five-star rating we will read it out on a future episode of the show. So, all right. Oh, also, hey, are you on the Robots Radio Discord? It is a wonderful place. If you'd like to hang out with us and over 2,000 other people to talk about Mass Effect and video games. And it is, it's is—it's the nicest corner of the Internet. It's amazing. But, uh, yeah, come join us. There's a link in the in the description of the podcast or on the website, robotsradio.net. All right. Let's move on with the rest of the show.
0: Spit it out, or are you trying to build suspense? You're so dense, sir. Obviously, I do not know as much about human relationships as I thought.
3: All right, so that was a really cool recording from Mark Meir, and I know we've only done the first half of it, but how did you get a hold of him again?
4: You know, it was it was kind of just a shot in the dark. Uh, I had posted something about the lore cast, and someone had jokingly tagged Mark Meir, saying, Hey, you should know about this, this show. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, he had liked the post. And, or maybe he followed uh, the Lorecast. I can't remember. Uh, I think he followed because in order to DM some people, mm-hmm. they need to be following you. That's so right. I think that's what happened. Um, so I was like, You know what? Uh, he's following the Lorecast. I'm gonna message him and just see if he'd like to, you know, answer a couple questions for us for N7 Day, and uh, he was and he was immensely cool about it. I messaged him, he messaged back, and he was just like, "Hey, yeah, uh, send your questions over, and I can record something." He never asked for any payment. Like he never, he could have easily said, uh, "Talk to my agent." Yeah, you know, and I was afraid of that. Yeah, absolutely. And, but that's not what he did, like at all, and and i had i had heard that uh that mark mir was like a nerd among mer- nerds you know that, that <laughs> he, of the nerds one, one of us one of us uh, the spectre
3: of the nerds maybe
4: yes the spectre of the nerds the biotic mm-hmm. god uh Cal. um i had heard that he was like that but this kind of cemented it and you know fast forward he 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 did that for us and then we were like hey you know would you like one of the shirts from the show Mm -hmm. and i thought it was fitting to give him the choice uh between the paragon and the renegade shirt right right (laughs) me giving commander shepherd the choice and uh i i think everyone would like to know that commander shepherd chose paragon yes for the shirt
3: yes he did Yeah, so that's awesome. It's kind of backwards though, right? Like usually we're the ones who have to make the choice, but we actually got to
4: give him the choice. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of (laughs) funny that way. But, um, but yeah, yeah, he has the, he has the shirt now. And so, and by the way, the only other people that have that shirt are the patrons of the show.
3: That's true. The tier four patrons, if you're a tier four or higher and you've been a patron for more than three months, that's the first shirt you get. And, uh, so you and, commander shepherd share the same t-shirt that's freaking amazing and you and i can't have it it's just how it goes
4: and i think i'd prefer it that way (sighs) yeah no it's
3: it's special it's special to everybody so that's awesome
4: yeah and you know i think mark mirror had more to say about anderson so let's take a listen to that second half of the clip
2: Unlike a lot of other fictional heroes, Shepard's relationship with their mentor is not at all antagonistic. It's very supportive, as I mentioned before, very familial. Anderson is clearly a father figure, and let's face it, the kind of father figure that we all wish we could have. It was an amazing scene, and Anderson and Shepard's relationship is one of the true gems of the Mass Effect trilogy. And, uh, I think you also had another little request, so let me just fulfill that. I'm Commander Shepard, and this is my favorite lore cast on the Citadel. Happy end 7 day, Specters. And I do hope you all have a very happy end 7 day. Thanks again for having me. I should go.
4: I should go. <laughs> you know, the I should go thing was totally him, um... And I think we mentioned it back then, mm-hmm. but, you know, I did ask, I did ask for, for, uh, Mark to record the, you know, I'm commander Shepard and this is my favorite lore cast. Uh, but he, he did the, I should go thing completely on his own. Uh, so that was his personal flair. Um, but about what he said, you know, the relationship between Shepard and Anderson is not antagonistic. And it's interesting that he notes that. And I I was thinking about that for a while. Why would he say that? Well, it could easily become antagonistic in Mass Effect 2 when Shepard shows up and it turns out that Shepard is working with Cerberus.
3: Yeah, yeah, especially with the the background that we talked about last episode with Anderson going after Cerberus.
4: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Anderson would have like every reason to just kind of be like, you know what? I was so hopeful about you, but here's yet another disappointment in my life, you know? Uh, but Anderson doesn't give up hope, not entirely. Uh, and so it's really interesting, like you, you get to see just how patient of a person Anderson is when Shepard comes back. And it, it just so happens that Shepard's working with an avowed terrorist organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, holy crap, right? Like how much, how much love do you have to have for someone to still give them the time of day, even when they come back working for your mortal enemy?
3: Well, it's, it's a, I mean, it's a very prodigal son kind of story. You know, if we're going biblical here, yeah. It, you know, the, the, the person who you've taken under your wing kind of goes off and does a thing that you aren't really in support of, but you kind of help him out anyway you're there for him when he comes back um also he wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for Cerberus there is that angle
4: there's that angle uh and the heroics of uh Farron and Liara who while we're while they were kind of doing the elusive man's bidding they did manage to snag Shepard's remains from the collectors so there's that um so again it's a team effort but uh yeah but again anderson anderson could have easily written off Shepard uh and said he could have easily said you know how do i know that you're actually shepherd Cerberus oh, yeah. revived you like yeah. you know are you even human anymore yeah. right how much reaper tech do you have in you shepherd <laughs> right uh, right which is a lot uh and it's interesting too that that um that mirror says that it's definitely one of the gems of the mass effect original trilogy and i was thinking why would he say that um personally i think it humanizes the experience this is one of the very few relationships that i think you can have as the player character outside of the romantic ones which of course made the game a meme right this was the first game where you could not the first but one of the major triple a games where you could have a relationship like a romantic relationship mm-hmm. um but this is one of the platonic familial relationships where it grounds the whole game In this is very human no pun pun intended and it humanizes the game because it, it brings this depth to the experience where you feel like you're not just talking to a, to a a group of pixels on the screen. Right. But you're talking to another human being, right? Right. Someone who's proud of you.
3: Right. It's, it's a identifiable thing. It's one of those like human moments that makes you feel like I've, either I've been in a similar situation or at least I can identify with this.
4: Yeah. 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 Um, and leading to that, you know, I, I said that I'm proud of you. I am, of course, referencing Anderson's death scene. And uh, if you haven't, you know, if you haven't seen that scene maybe tune out, because this is uh, one of the best scenes of the entire game. I agree with Mark Meir here um, because it, hit, it hits hard because of the human element, because this is your mentor. And in this scene, at least, uh, when and the music helps the music certainly helps but in this scene I really felt like I had lost someone like I truly lost someone more so than any of the other death scenes in the game
3: yeah well it's a parental figure you know
4: right yeah that, that, it's a parental figure uh, well and, but, it's, and it's someone
3: who like genuinely sacrifices for you even if you don't feel like you deserve it necessarily
4: yeah and it kind of comes out of nowhere like i mean you kind of see it coming but you kind of don't and uh it is after shepherd goes up the beam you know on the crucible and you're almost there you're so close mm-hmm. to beating the game and you just it's just within grasp it's just within reach and at least for me i wanted anderson to be alive to see that yeah and anderson dies right and Shepard's final words to Anderson were we did it yeah so it, well, at it least there's at some
3: the closure there's some closure in that you know which if I mean if they didn't if they didn't add the last line there it would be like
4: no you never knew <laughs> like Ugh. you know there yeah yeah there's a lot of cut dialogue by the way uh, between <laughs> Shepard and Anderson and uh, if you haven't heard the cut dialogue And there are mods that place it back in. Um, But if you haven't heard it, I highly encourage you to look it up. uh, If you've played through the games before, because, man, it's like if you thought that scene was heart wrenching before with the cut, with the added cut dialogue, it's like that's something else. Um, And, you know, that's like. uh, it, It left me speechless. And a large part of that is due to Keith David's performance.
3: Hmm. Hmm. Games are unique. I mean, all stories can have that effect, whether it's a good book or a good movie. Um, but I find that sometimes games really can do that. Um, you know, and uh, it it really was nice, when somebody like Mark, somebody who takes their time, put into the you know the games, it, especially a game like this that was, I mean, this game was finished a decade ago. You know, and he still takes time to, you know, we, we, we've got this little podcast, this little thing that talks about a game he finished a decade ago. I'm sure he's been onto to so many other projects since then to be able to just take take some time out and to, you know, just give him uh, some time out of his day, which I'm sure is extremely valuable.
4: Right. Yeah. He's he's one of the most approachable uh, celebrities uh, that I've ever interacted with.
3: Yeah. So. Um, Mark mentioned Anderson's death scene and on these episodes about Anderson we really haven't discussed his presence in Mass Effect 3 um, what do you think about his role in the final part of the trilogy
4: so in, in Mass Effect 3 uh, the Reapers hit Earth right and they annihilate they overwhelm all defenses mm-hmm. and uh, it's a massacre humanity is just not ready not by long shot and um we see in the uh throughout mass effect 3 that entire city blocks are just like getting wiped out yeah yeah right at the beginning
3: it's just like right at the beginning it's just like everything's just gone to hell
4: the literal blink of an eye just you know yeah entire blocks of people gone and um in Mass Effect 3, in the beginning, you know, Anderson is running with Shepard to the to the Normandy for extraction and then says, no, Shepard, I'm not going. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Anderson's first instinct is to save Shepard by, again, giving him the Normandy and then choosing for himself to stay. Right. And command of command the ground forces, the resistance on Earth. Um which is almost definitely a suicide mission but it's not about suicide or not suicide for Anderson it's about doing the right thing or he's like
3: i'm taking out one of these motherfucking reapers and you're not gonna stop me i'll take it i've taken out some aliens in my time but i ain't killed one of them yet
4: <laughs> like yeah, he wanted the new alien on, on the notch right. on his belt right yeah. yeah he's
3: got he's got like a he's got like all these like notches for all the different alien types of you know evil things that he's killed so far but he doesn't have a you know like one of those <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah he's like come here you love bitch <laughs>
3: yeah come here you, you giant
4: bug <laughs> let's go this yeah. is my hometown <laughs> <laughs> you killing my city i don't think so It's the London equivalent of "I'm from Brooklyn." Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, I wonder what Anderson if would be like if he were from Brooklyn. (laughs) (laughs) They'd have a different accent, a lot more in your face. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, Anderson, you know, as at this point in Mass Effect Three, has already shown that he's down to earth uh, enough (pun intended) Mm. uh, to recognize that losing fight when there is one. So I have no doubt in my mind that Anderson sees this and knows it's a losing fight. Um, He's not dumb, you know, he's incredibly observant. And this time though, Anderson fights anyway, despite the terror, the sleepless nights that accompanied that, the, you know, the sheer overwhelming odds of these kilometer tall enemies. and, And let's not forget, he's been promoted to Admiral already at this point. He's no longer just a captain, he's an admiral. And he has the chance to escape on the Normandy and regroup with with Admiral Hackett and the command fleets and the lead from the safety of a mobile headquarters. But instead, he stays and he fights. So for me, this is once again, Anderson exuding some of the greatest courage we've seen in Mass Effect. And, you know, about courage, uh, I said in that previous episode that I've been, you know, uh, referencing now, uh, or the, the, the episode of the Pixel People one uh, where we talked about Anderson. Mm-hmm. The courage is not, you know, a lack of fear. And in, in my opinion, it's actually acting in the face of overwhelming fear. Right, right. And Anderson does this, you know, for Anderson, who sees Earth torn apart in front of his very eyes and who witnesses entire brigades of uh humanity's defenders wiped out from existence i mean this guy has his tears dried from the free-floating ash and soot of one of humanity's greatest cities and his hometown so for anderson you know would there be hope well not around him physically uh but for humanity i think there would not be hope without anderson well said here, here. So, you're <laughs> here. Here, here I'll, I'll raise my glass. Raise your glass. Raise your glass. <laughs> yeah, I've got
3: a toast cu- to Anderson. I've got a cowboy cup. I don't know I have how a Anderson- Yellowstone
4: National Park mug.
3: Yeah, I don't know how Anderson would feel about a cowboy cup. So, I, I mentioned earlier in the episode, I used to design packaging. Well, uh, this was from one of the jobs that I did over, I don't know, fifteen years ago. <laughs> we got a bunch of these cups in. And I had to design up boxes for the cups. And uh, they were samples. They're, they're all, like, malformed in some way. I mean, it, it totally works. It's not like it's leaks or anything. And so they just let us keep the cups. And so I distributed the cups out to all the factory workers after I, you know, used the cups to size the boxes and stuff. And so I, I handed them. I was like, hey, come get, come get the cups, everybody. So everyone picked the cups. And there were some that were left, including this one, which has a cowboy on it. And I was like, cowboy cup is mine. (laughs) Taking this one. (laughs) Cowboy Anderson. So now I have a cowboy cup. Um, Yeah. So every so often you'll see the cowboy cup on stream. Uh, Yeah. Um, This one's going to the grave with me. Bury me with my cowboy cup.
4: You know, I I see a couple of quotes here. People have been quoting Anderson in chat. And uh, day they laid in chat here says, feels like years since I could just sit down. (laughs) Uh, And I'm not sure if that's the line. It could be since years since I just sat down. Uh, But regardless, it it illustrates the same point from Anderson. Anderson says that right as he's dying. Uh, And that is like such an amazing quote, you know, for Anderson, because he has given it his all for so long Mm, mm -hmm. that it feels like years since he just sat down. Or hemorrhoids. (laughs) <laughs> or he's just been avoiding hemorrhoids. Sorry, that that's long.
3: just the first thing that popped in my head when you read the quote. That's why I had to snicker a little bit. Um, but yeah, no, I get the I get the sentimental version of that. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I don't think Anderson had hemorrhoids. Everyone's like, "That's it, I'm done with the show." Tom is a jerk.
4: Farewell. <laughs> Farewell, Good day, sir. One star review. <laughs> you get nothing. Good day, sir. <laughs> What?
3: A, that's another great actor. Um, yeah, yeah. Un- unsubscribed. Hemorrhoids, my ass. Exactly, hemorrhoids, your ass. Uh, so uh, that's going to be it for our second Anderson episode. Where are we going next week?
4: Yeah. So I think you know, following this pattern of the very first people we see in the uh, opening of Mass Effect One, we should probably talk about the different backgrounds that Shepard can have and we should talk about the psych profiles and and how things are different depending on which you choose i know there's a ton of people that they play a lot of playthroughs but they end up choosing the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. so you might learn something i often
3: forget which one i pick
4: yeah yep
3: there's that too yeah (laughs) sometimes i'm just like which one did i pick last time by the time i get to my next play i'm like i don't even remember
4: so yeah and there's totally different permutations of uh what can happen in the games depending on what you choose yeah cool that'll be awesome i'm looking forward to it what else do you have going on uh well i'm streaming mass effect every saturday for sassy shepherd saturdays i am continuing my first fem shep playthrough Mm -hmm. i'm in mass effect 2 now uh which i've unlocked a bunch of new cool mods and a lot of new armor a lot of new weapons love it um and a lot of quality of life upgrades like for example you can skip the mini games in mass effect 2 oh. and you can get unlimited sprint yes so that's lots a, of that's cool a necessary one that that one's real good uh oh, and this one which you might be interested in mm. no matter what class you pick you can use any weapon in mass effect that's kind of nice too Yep, that's um, nice so. Yeah, I'm streaming that Saturdays, uh, that's in the evenings, and I'm streaming on Mondays and Thursdays as well. You can find me at N7thelegend on Twitch, and uh, that same handle on Twitter, pretty much any other uh, social media.
3: Awesome, awesome. All of my stuff is over at robotsradio.net, all of the shows on the network, and all of my shows, all the different lore casts, so go check that out, and of course all of my streams are over on the Robots Radio channels on Twitch and YouTube and Facebook, if you like watching stuff on Facebook for some reason. And uh, I've got a a bunch of other stuff going on. But you guys know all about all that stuff. Come join us on the Discord and just hang out and play some games with us and chat with us and stuff. We love you guys being here as part of the community. You're the best community on this side of the galaxy and the Internet. And uh, until next time. Stay safe out there, and don't be a Saren. Be an Anderson. We'll see (laughs) you. See you next time, everybody. Whoa, that was the wrong button! My bad. Why is that still Thanks a Thanks for thing? tuning into the Mass Effect Lorecast. We'd love to hear your opinion and thoughts on the lore of Mass Effect. Reach out to us on Twitter at Mass Effect Cast or check out the Robots Radio Discord. Also, you can send us an email at Mass Effect Lorecast at gmail.com.
0: At Parker, our purpose is simple we want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently.